This is wonderful, and I am so looking forward to the time that we can come together and meet again in person. And although this service is a wonderful thing, although this service is a great place for us to be able to be refreshed and to hear what God is saying, I still know that when we get back together and when we have, you know, our, our tables and we have our conversations and we have our, you know, our break in the middle of service where we're just chatting with each other and talking about what's happened in our life and in our week and maybe what God has shown us, I know that that, that is something that we really look forward to. And so we constantly look forward to that and we constantly look forward to what God is going to do with us as a community, to reach into this town and to bless it and to love it and to care for it. And so, um, even as we're separated, we know that we're still doing things to love and care and care for our community. And so, we are, uh, we are privileged in that way. So, we thank God for that. Um, I want to... Uh, I want to just invite you to be on Slack during the service, um, commenting on the sermon and questions that you might have or, or comments, and I'll be working them in. If you are not on Slack and you haven't yet been able to connect with us, or maybe this is your first time watching Promise Church or being involved in any way, I want to encourage you to go to promisechurch.community. You can still engage with the service in real time by going to today's message, and at the bottom there's a box, and you can actually send in your questions or comments via text message, and, uh, and they will come to me on my computer, and I can incorporate them as well if I have time. Um, also, you can fill out the Get Connected card, and that's where you can find your invitation into Slack as well. So let me pray as we, as we get into um, continuing to move through Galatians. God, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I'm thankful for your awesome power. I'm thankful for all of those verses that we read today that remind us of how great you are. They remind us that that you are constantly at work. They remind us that you are where we go when we need help, that you are there when, when we need to know love, that you are there when we are exhausted and we have nothing left because you are eternal. You are immortal. You are all-knowing, and you have all the power. And so, God, in every way, when we measure ourselves against you, we come up lesser. But due to your grace, you fill us up, and you give us life, and you give us hope and purpose and reprieve and, and energy and strength to continue on. So God, today I pray that you, would, that you would continue to grow us and guide us as we, as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we put faith in? You know, what do you trust? What do you really put your trust in and say, yeah, this is something that, we, that, that, that I really care about or know that is going to happen? That's what faith trust is, right? It's something that you know that's going to happen. For example, maybe you put trust that your paycheck will show up in the bank at the exact precise time that it has every couple of weeks. You know, maybe you put trust, and we all do, we put trust that the sun is going to rise every single morning. I mean, think about it. What type of chaos would ensue if the sun didn't rise just once? Just once. It just, it just didn't rise. And, and we wake up, our alarms go off, and we're waiting for the sunrise, and 
darkness. No, we put faith in the fact that the sun is going to rise every single morning. We put faith in the fact that God, through Jesus, is going to and has already forgiven our sins and given us access to God. That's what it is to be a Christian, right? To put faith in Jesus that he has forgiven us and given us access to God. That's what we put faith in. But I, I think that we don't put enough faith in Jesus. And this is where I see it. I think that sometimes as Christians, we don't put enough faith in the faithfulness of Jesus to finish the work that he started. And we're going to expand that today. We're going to look at that because that really matters. We don't put enough faith in the faithfulness of Jesus to finish the work that he started in us. Our text today is from Galatians 5, 7 to 15. So let me read it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that he will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Okay, so we're seeing the transitions of Paul's thoughts. He's starting to transition his, his, his attention away from the argument that he's been having for, well, for us the past half year, um, but in this book for the past couple chapters, and he is moving into a new focus. Remember, the Galatian church is a new church that was planted on the idea that Jesus gives every person who puts faith in his faithfulness inclusion into the promises of Abraham. Jesus is the one who includes us into the presence of God because God became human and dwelt among us. And so this is where we're coming together. The participation with the old systems that used to get you in, they now don't work and maybe even disqualify you from inclusion into the promise. And so everything that Paul has been talking about is being about inclusion into the promise. But there's been a traditional group that's come in and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're glad you got Jesus. That's so lovely. And you're welcome to be part of us. But you have to look like this. You've got to make yourself look like this. You've got to become part of our system. You've got to circumcise yourself, which Paul has very uh, stern words about. And he's saying, and, and these people are saying, yeah, it's nice that you're in, but to really be in, you must be like us. And Paul's saying, no, no, there's something more. See, Paul expects God to transform your life, not by the religious legal system, but by the work of the Spirit. 
It isn't the law that we follow. It is God that we obey. It's not the law that we follow. It is God that we obey. And that's a really big difference. I mean, I want to be rid of pride. I, this was me as a teenager, you know, just really zealous for God. And after God called me when I was 16 and reoriented my life completely ab- around him, I thought that the goal of Christianity was to gain perfection. That I was to be morally perfect without sin, that that was the goal of Christianity. And so I, was, I reasoned, I've got this. If I cannot sin for five minutes, then I can do it again for another five minutes. And I looked at the laws, and I looked at the things in my heart, and I looked, and I compared the two, and I said, I can cut this out, and I can cut that out, and I can make it look like this, and I can do exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to obey the laws. I'm going to be perfect. And from there, I was exhausted. I was exhausted because here I am trying to approach the divine. I had faith in Jesus, but I was trying to finish my faith by doing all of the works according to the law and not according to the Spirit. I was very Christian. And I thought the end goal was sinlessness. But the end goal is God living with us, making everything right. And we follow God to see how God is making us right. So the question that Paul asked is, is who hindered you from obeying the truth? As a Christian, we're put stuck between a rock and a hard place. We're, we're sitting here going, okay, I want to obey the truth. I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to obey God. And that's really, really good. But Paul's saying, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And, and he's looking at these, at these laws which God wrote. God wrote these laws... And God, who is never changing, still has these ideals. Torah was a description of God's perfect way for humanity. So when God leads us to be transformed by the Spirit, it is actually going to look like Torah. But, but what we're stuck here with this tension. We're stuck between I'm going to follow God, and God has already revealed where he leads, and it's law. So, so what's the big deal? What does Paul mean when he said, who hindered you from obeying the truth? There's a great danger in the church. When we put the law as the metric of acceptance. We hinder people from obeying the truth. Who's the pressure on? 
Who is the pressure on? When we're looking at what God is doing in our life, who gets the pressure to transform the life? Under the pressures of the law, everything is resting on me. It's resting on me as a human to impress God, to be the thing that God envisioned to scramble and scratch and claw to get every element of the law completed in my life. And Paul says, I wish you would just go and emasculate yourself. Because someone said that they're still stuck at emasculating themselves. And then there was a whole discussion about it. So Paul is saying that this is where we get stuck. We put the pressure on the person. Yeah, you accepted Jesus. Good for you. You accepted Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit came in your heart. Yes, you're included in the promises of Abraham, but you better measure up. And we put the pressure on the person and say, you have to look entirely like this to really know that you're in. Who's the pressure on? Or does the pressure, does the obligation fall on God to transform us from the inside out? Does the obligation of God creating who God is looking for, does that fall on us? Or does it fall on God? We don't put enough faith in the faithfulness of Jesus to finish the work that he started. Our habit as, as I've been involved in the evangelical church for years and years, our habit is running ahead of God, like Abraham doing God's work for him. And Paul says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It only takes a few of us to put pressure on the person to say, perform as such. It only takes a few of us to do it, and the whole culture of the church now sets upon get to this standard. Whichever one we chose to highlight, whichever, whichever sin we chose to become our main shtick, oh, we're from a holiness movement. We're going to make sure that you live proper, especially sexually. Oh, we're from a movement that, that is about justice and peace and we're going to make sure that you live according to those things because you're going to fight for justice. And the pressure is on you to conform. And, and, and Paul says this persuasion is not from him who calls you. The traditionalists are saying this law of God is something that you have to do to prove that you're really one of us. You've got to prove it. And Paul says the leaven leavens the whole group. You know, the argument is sound, right? Well, it's in Torah. It's in Scripture. And the end sounds right because if you want to be included in God's promises, then you've got to do this. But the great danger is that we put the onus on the person to say, smarten up. 
Do it now. Get it right. We put the pressure on the individual and they are crippled by what Jesus says was something that even the Jews couldn't even hold up to. You know, we really do want to be sure that someone's truly Christian, but the persuasion's not from God. You know, it really, someone wrote that it's easier to do it our way, isn't it? It's so much easier. Why wait for God? And it is, it's way more efficient to set clear standards and boundaries, to say this is what you ought to look like, to know that you're included. Check this box, check this box. Way more efficient. But God says, follow me. God says, follow me. Obey the Holy Spirit. Do what Holy Spirit says. You know, the legitimate concern uh, it came from Slack, and we've seen it last week, and we're, we're going to be addressing it next week in our forum as well. But the concern is, you know, what, is, is what about the sin that they brought with them? They're included in Jesus, but they might be living a lifestyle that isn't one of Christ. What about the sin that, that's brought? And we should, we should address that. We, we, don't, we don't put enough faith in the faithfulness of Jesus to finish the work that he started. We want to do it for him. Our culture argues by creating these ideas of false choices. You know, what, we, what we've done is we've said, oh, God gave us freedom, so that means we can murder whoever we want or abuse our spouses. Why do we think like this? I mean, are the legal structures in Canada really the only things that are stopping you from doing what you want? Are we really in the position of that Netflix series called Purge? Where, where really, if you just allow everybody to just do whatever they want, that, that everybody's going to the extreme darkest part of their heart and saying, let's do it? Is it only the law that's stopping us? Is that the case? I mean, there is tons of depravity in human, in human nature. But, but when we get God involved, when by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, it's God who starts transforming forming us, doing something in our heart. God is at work in us, and God is at work in all people. He really is at work in all people. Not all people have come to him, but he is calling. He is working. That's why we need Jesus. You know, the offer the offer of freedom sometimes comes across as, you know, an offer of autonomy, which our culture has mistaken for freedom. That autonomy is truly the only freedom. We have conflated freedom of inclusion with autonomy of action. We've taken the idea that you can be free to be included into the presence of God to be included into the eternal life of God. And then we've confused it with freedom means I can do what I want when I want. And when Paul is saying it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, no longer to be held subject to the yoke of slavery, he's saying that, that you have the freedom to be included fully included in God and in his plan. You are freely accepted, freely to live in the presence of God. 
God Almighty, you have that freedom. The creator of heaven and earth, you have that freedom to be in that God's presence. Hebrews says that we boldly approach the throne of grace in time of need. We have that freedom. We don't pay a penance. We don't pay something to give us that freedom. That is the freedom we have. But we've conflated it with autonomy of action. I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. That's not obedience either. So we're not looking for obedience from the law. We are looking to obey the Spirit. And we trust that Jesus who began a good work in us, it will carry it through to completion. So the direction of transformation. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul sees that people are going to go into this idea of autonomous action. He, foresee, he foresaw it. He's like, oh wait, this is where people are going to go. When, when we start talking about this, we're going to start going down autonomy of action. So don't use your freedom as an, as an opportunity for the flesh, but to love, through, to love and serve one another, for the whole law is, filled, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just as a point of correction, Paul, that's seven words. However, it's picky. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom we have is to receive the Spirit of God who begins a work in us to do what we hoped He would do. How many of us love that we blow up in anger when provoked? How many of us would really just love to hold on that jealousy that we hold? Like, really? We don't want the evil that, that, that carries through in our life. We're not, it's not something we're looking for. We are now free to receive the Spirit of God who begins a transformation of God. We're included. You can't become more included. No religious law or action will ensure your inclusion more. The point of the Christian journey is not moral perfection, although God does bring that. The point is to live with God. That's what the scriptures are about. God living with his people. It's called a theophany, the revelation of God. We, we, we see it happening throughout scripture all the time. And what it is, is it's, it's this saying that keeps on repeating again and again and again. And it says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. The direction is always the same. God coming to us. The purpose of Christianity, the purpose of Judaism, was to see God dwelling among his creation when all things he has made right. It's so important. The purpose of of the Christian journey is not what I thought when I was a teenager of moral perfection, but to live with God. That's what he's calling us to. This is eternal life. When we live with God, listening to God, being with God, we will not automatically, we will not live autonomously. We will live collectively. We will 
Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We won't live autonomously. I will do what I want, when I want, how I want it. We will live collectively. This is why I miss the gathering. This is, this is why I miss us coming together and seeing each other. And as Mark put on Slack earlier, or sorry, as Ron put on Slack earlier today, don't forsake the gathering of each other together. This is why church is important. Because we come together and we meet collectively to show love to each other because that's what God's doing. I want to dwell with my people. And he doesn't want to dwell with me and then go visit my neighbor and then go visit somebody else. What he wants to do is he wants to say, come, let us gather together. Jesus in John 17, just off the top of my head, Jesus says, oh, how I yearn for you, Jerusalem, that I could gather you together. This is what he's saying. It's an invitation of God living with us, calling us to love each other. And so this is the importance. Somebody just said, oh, your idea of collective reminds them of the Borg. And, uh, and, and the difference between God and the Borg, thousand, anyways, but one of the differences, because there's no comparison really, but one of the differences is that we um, are not being assimilated we are offering our life to God who wants to live with us. That's the respect of God. That's the respect and the love of God where he isn't saying top down, I'm going to fix it and do everything and force you in. No. He's saying come. And if you come, you are welcome. And if you don't come, you will be missed. And, and the invitation is so significant. But he come, come together. So what's our role to help other Christians then? What are we supposed to do? You know, because I see my Christian brothers and sisters struggling. We, we all have our issues that we face. And it can't be that God just brought us in to leave us alone and to let us continue on in the, in the struggles that we all have. It can't be that. Because it's not that. Because we want to obey the Spirit. So, so the struggles that we have that pollute our lives, that we look at ourselves, and sometimes we look at ourselves with shame. I know I hear it enough. I wish I was better. I wish I measured up better. Sometimes we actually have real shame for the things that we did. What do we do? What do we do here? And we say, we say how do we help each other? We could measure up according to the law. A little leaven works through the whole lump. Oh, we can measure according to the Spirit. And I want to give us a couple of easy points about how to measure according to the Spirit. One, pray with each other. Please, pray with each other. Here's the prayer that we pray. God, show us where you are at work. Because we, we don't put enough faith in Jesus to continue the work. We thought that it was just about inclusion. We sometimes think that, oh, it's just about getting people saved. 
But the Holy Spirit is continuing to do transforming work. And the question that we come together for the person who is struggling, saying, I'm caught in a sin, I am caught in a temptation, I am caught in a place that I do not see right. It doesn't measure up according to this law, but I don't know what to do about it because I don't want to live under the law. We come together in prayer and we say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in our life? What are you showing us? Where are you at work? And then together we listen. We listen. We allow it to be God's work to change us as a community. We put our faith in Jesus' faithfulness. Our next prayer is, God, give us strength to follow through. Give us strength to obey your leading. See, this doesn't come at it from a, from a position of religious authority. It comes at it from a position of humble partnership. The difference is huge. Humble partnership. It's so important. How do we know this? How do we know that God will work in our hearts to lead to service others? How do we know? Well, we know because Jesus. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus gave up everything to be with us. The theophany I referred to earlier, God dwelling among us. We know this, and it's going to perpetuate through the church unless we let this leaven, leaven us completely. From there, we start to serve one another because Jesus did. Can you fake the work of the Spirit? Yes, absolutely, you can fake the work of the Spirit. And then you can burn out. You can fake the transformation. You can, you can live in that system and try to fake everybody out and say, I, I checked all of these boxes. I did all these things. Aren't I good enough for you yet? No. You'll never be good enough. Slip up once and watch what happens. Slip up once and watch it. Watch the wheels fall off. You will burn out. Can you fake being a servant to others? Absolutely. It's not even fake. You can, you can do it in your own strength. You can go serve anybody you want. And you can do that, and it can be beautiful, and it can be lovely, and then you're going to run out, and you're going to eventually become bitter because guess what? People aren't going to pay you back the same way. I've worked on secular councils. I've been part of conversations where it's like I keep giving and giving and giving and nobody's giving anything back in return except for the Christian has a different motive to serve because we have already been backfilled with the love of Jesus and we don't look for, for the return. I give and give and give and give and give and nobody's giving back. We don't look for other people to return that to us. We actually look to Christ who is filling us and filling us with his spirit so that we can continue on. So yeah, you could do it on your own, but it's truly through the work of the spirit that you can perpetuate it for your life. 
It's truly through the work of the Spirit that you can sacrifice all because Jesus has already done everything and he truly does come on the other side and fill you and grow you and give you all of the love that you need. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to empower the service of the other. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to refill and to engage. We need the work of Jesus on the cross to remind us of God's sacrifice so that when we sacrifice, it's put into an eternal perspective. We can't sustain the love of God for the other without God's love for us. So we serve each other in community. I choose to lovingly listen to those in my community as well because God speaks through them. So as we come together in prayer and say, God, what are you working on? I'm willing to listen to others in my community saying, you know, is God working on this? What is God doing here? To explore with me, to to humbly say, because now it's not about whether I'm included included or not. It's actually about trusting Jesus to, to work in the community to say, hey, we're, transform, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Come along. You know, we really do need to put more faith in the faithfulness of Jesus beyond just our salvation to trust that he is working in us to finish it. That he's working in us to continue the work. He's calling us together to serve each other so we can look like Christ. Let's put faith in that. Now, we need to put faith in God as a community. And and the last bit of the text that I'm just going to touch on as I close is this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, the concern is that we can nitpick at each other's imperfection. And we just, oh, there's that. Oh, there's that. As a parent, I know every parent feels this because you want your children to do what, what you want them to do. And, and once you've picked on something, it's just like you can consistently go back at it and just keep hitting that same spot. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Keep your focus on what is God doing. As a church, we always do better when we talk about what God is doing rather than when we talk about what we have to do always do better when we talk about what God is doing. So let's not nitpick at imperfections, lest we can be consumed all of our attention beyond, oh, well, you've got to measure up. Let's continually bring each other to Christ in prayer. God, what are you working on? And let's put faith in Jesus' eternal faithfulness that he will continue to transform our lives. See, Satan, is the, his title is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to come in and say that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You didn't measure up. You didn't do well enough. You, you need to improve here. So let's be aware that we come through the work of the Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, show us where you're changing us. Let me be changed in the presence of an almighty awesome God. Let me pray. God, we are people who want to be changed into your image. 
And sometimes we, in our zeal, we, we want everybody else to be changed in your image right now. God, I just pray that we would be able to be a community who actually lifts each other up into the presence of God and say, God, where are you working? That we would address our transformation with humility, knowing and having faith that it must be there. It is coming because you came to dwell with us, and that's your initiative. You came to make all things right. That's your initiative. So it's going to happen. Our transformation is going to happen. But let it happen with us on our knees in front of you, directing it. Let that transformation come not from works of the law and the pressure on each other and on myself to somehow measure up, but by the leading and the obedience of the Spirit. And so, God, I pray that we would be a people of humility, caring for each other, lifting each other up in prayer, being fully aware that you are doing work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Promise Church, and, and trust me, we look forward to seeing you with Starbucks in our hands, and uh, just get your orders in. We're going to go out tomorrow and on Thursday. Hit us up on Slack. Be involved in that, because we want to come. We want to pray with you about whatever is on your heart, and we want to uh, just have that, that moment of connection, because you are so valuable, and God has called us into a community together. God bless you. We will see you during the week. And also, Amy's uh, Zoom thing is for the kids. Four o'clock, make sure your kids are there. God bless.